Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Okay, hour three here underway on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Uh, My much, much anticipated guest, um, maybe often known as the toast of Brooklyn Nets Twitter, is joining me now on the West Her Hotline, and it's Mina Kimes. Mina, thank you so much for taking some time. I know you're kind of West Coast, we're East Coast, so good morning to you. I can still say that even though it's 1 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, it's 10 here. Good morning. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for making time for us. Very exciting. Um, So first and foremost, I figured we'd start with the really hard-hitting stuff first and then just get casual as it goes along. So Jeopardy announced uh, earlier this week that Joe Buck is getting a shot at this. And I've really, I got to know your opinion on this. It feels to me like Joe Buck is sort of the ringer for this, like he was meant for this role. And I'm just wondering how he could find the time to do that and everything else he's doing. But I'm wondering the fit that you believe Joe Buck might be for Jeopardy? I think he'll probably crush it. I, I, I mean, I think he's incredible at everything he does and has that kind of blend of hosting skills and personality to be great at Jeopardy. Um, I'm, I will say I'm team LeVar Burton. I'd like to see him get a shot, like a lot of people, I think, on the internet. But uh, I imagine Joe will be probably one of the better guest hosts we'll see on Jeopardy. So I did, and just briefly before the show, I did take a look at uh, a Reddit thread um, that actually created some Vegas odds for you to be the next Jeopardy host, um, but you you don't see that in your future, no? I think I'm a, uh, a long shot, but you know what? <laughs> Josh Allen was a long Correct. shot going into last season, and if he can make that kind of historic leap, well... Not to pander to the local crowd, but why can't I? That's that's exactly right. Well, listen, I want to talk a lot of this draft with you, and I've I've done a good job of not ambushing people on telling me exactly what they think is going to happen to the third overall pick. But here in Buffalo, we're all we're waiting till thirty, so there's not a lot to talk about. Everybody mm-hmm. knows what the Jets are probably doing at this point. Um, that third pick has been the one that has been widely talked about as one that none of us can quite figure out. I just had Joe Caposoro. Um, who covers the Jets, and basically our, our thought process here is there's no way it's a fluid situation, right? Like, you don't trade up all of the assets that that 49ers team, who's, for all accounts, kind of like right there and maybe that quarterback away, you don't trade those pieces and move up in the draft and wait for a pro day to determine who, which quarterback you're taking of the remaining three. So in your mind, I, listen, I, I mean, I've watched most of your NFL Live um, features on this and, and sort of the back and forth that exists in the media world about this pick, but... I know where I sort of stand on like my gut feeling. I'm really interested in your gut feeling now that you have information. We're two weeks away from the draft. Like, Where do you really think that third pick is going to be? I think it's going to be Mac Jones. Um, really? You're asking me what I think will That's happen, your gut? not what I think should happen. 
Well, uh, you know, after following the draft and how things shake out uh, for quite some time now, um, I've learned that reporters are the ones you should listen to mm, yeah. uh, more than analysts. I think there's a lot of people who uh, disagree with uh, Mac Jones there from a football standpoint, from watching the players, the prospects, um, and I respect that. But the reporters who have covered this and have generally been right on uh, this particular team and I guess where things kind of fall in the draft have all pointed to Mac Jones. And so until I see, you know, um, one of those reporters, I think, change, shift gears, I'm inclined to think that they're going to take Mac for the reasons, um, you know, we've heard or we heard the second that Mac was first linked to San Francisco, which is Kyle Shanahan, the coach, his predilection for a certain kind of quarterback mm-hmm. and schemes it. You know, Mina, I I think about it, and I, I like kind of like your point about the distinction between the reporter versus the analyst. And listen, at the end of the day, you can analyze any player and form whatever opinion you want, but the only actual opinions that matter are Kyle Shanahan's and John Lynch's. And you know, we can say till we're all blue in the face, my God, how could someone view Mac Jones as a better NFL pro prospect than a Justin Fields or Trey Lance? But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter our opinion on it. It just matters in the people that are going to be picking. And I I find it super interesting the discourse in the conversation that does exist starting with Mac Jones the prospect but I think for the better part of this whole draft process I think there's been the the analyst side of this has been so one skewed one way or the other there really doesn't seem like there's been a lot of time for people to just kind of take a sort of median stance of understanding why someone might want Mac Jones instead it's sort of like I know Mac Jones is the worst quarterback that would ever be taken in the top five. Why are you doing that? And also, Justin Fields can't get to his second read. There's just this such extreme discourse. I'm wondering if, in in a less social media world, what the actual maybe tempered conversation would be about these two. And just like looking at it, how far apart are they really? Um, I think that the tempered take is that all five of the quarterbacks who are projected to go into the first round are really good. Mm. I think this is the best quarterback draft uh, maybe ever, frankly, based on what we've seen out of these guys in college. And Matt Jones, like I personally think I would not have traded that sort of uh, draft capital to move up for him, and I do prefer you know Fields and Lance, but I also think he's a really good quarterback. I mean, it, I don't know how you can watch Alabama and not be impressed by – what he did there and granted you know he obviously benefited a lot from scheme and and the skill players around him but um you know he's incredibly accurate throws with touch anticipation has a quick release those are qualities that um suggest he'll have some success in the nfl uh now the difference between him and a field or lance is sort of and you've heard this already i'm sure a million times the second reaction ability Mm -hmm. the athleticism um the traits, and for me, and again, to kind of take it back to Buffalo, the success of Josh Allen and Justin Herbert over the last two years, two quarterbacks that, frankly, I didn't see it when either of them were in college, um, that would lead me to bet more on quarterbacks with traits and tools and that you can develop them at the next level. But going to Mac Jones would be a move in the opposite direction, which – that's, to me, why I wouldn't do it. Mina Kimes here on the Wester Hotline. She's a uh, NFL analyst at ESPN. Um, and I, I think part of that conversation goes towards the, I think, idea that 
there's a good chance Josh Allen and Justin Herbert are going to get scouting departments fired in the next five to ten years mm-hmm. because of that exact mindset. And I'm wondering, are we watching sort of a peak and valley type situation with how you value what part of a quarterback you, that you should care about, right? Like the toolsy yeah. quarterback is now sort of in vogue because of Josh Allen, because of Justin Herbert. But the Bill Parcells model is I need three years of starter, right? Like I need all of these statistics. I need a really good touchdown to interception ratio in college. I need them to see him against power five conferences and playing against NFL players every Saturday and how that discussion has changed. I wonder what your opinion is like how, I guess the line that you have to carefully walk as an evaluator where you're being paid and your, your opinion matters in an NFL locker room or in an NFL front office, like how careful you have to be in that discussion. And do you see this maybe, maybe at some point going back the other way? And like, are we just going to kind of always be, this is a five-year trend on what people want in quarterbacks. And then it just kind of changes back to the mean. Like, I, I, I guess the, the long and short of the question is, do you believe that this is always going to be a fluid thing on how people evaluate quarterbacks and things are going to change based on what offenses are being run? Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, if San Francisco does take Mac, as I suggest, I think they will, that would imply that there is not a massive change in the way <laughs> sure. teams yeah, right. are evaluating or that this sort of concept of prioritizing traits over production um, isn't really happening. I'd also add, by the way, uh, for example, it fields – uh, and, and to a lesser degree, Lance, who I can talk about, and would be, I think, the more comparable quarterback to Josh Allen. He has the production. He did play at an extremely high level. He is incredibly accurate. So, um, you know, betting on traits in his case doesn't mean ignore, betting on, like, this raw quarterback who played in a bad offense, um, you know, like I think Herbert and Allen to some degree. I think Lance is probably more comparable uh, because he was in a run-first offense at a very small school and mm-hmm. had so few reps. But um, it really comes down to the particular team and their timeline, when they expect the quarterback to play, and what they want from him. Uh, and I think that really, again, the Niners case really shows you there's just still a very high variance between teams and what they're looking for and how quickly they think they can and will compete. I want to shift gears for my last couple of questions here to the Bills, Mina, and I found myself maybe even guilty of this is overvaluing retaining players because I think the Bills fans got very excited the fact that I think most people had turned the page on Matt Milano I I know I did I just thought there was no scenario in the world that Matt Milano's back here in Buffalo and I thought the only way that was going to happen was because of COVID and maybe he takes a one-year deal to reestablish his value and get to the 2022 offseason that was the only scenario played out in my head that that was that he was coming back so the fact that they re-signed pretty much everybody they wanted to re-sign I found to be an incredible win for this organization and I think it speaks to the credibility that they've built, the Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, but like, how much do you believe? Maybe I'm overvaluing a little bit of just kind of running it back with, for the most part, the same team, knowing that I think they just really, and this wasn't just the quarterback, this wasn't just the defense. It felt like when I watched both matchups against the Kansas City Chiefs, the Bills just weren't good enough to beat them. And I don't know if they play 10 times, if the Bills win one of those, and I guess that's all that matters. If they win one time in the AFC Championship Mm -hmm. game and you're in the Super Bowl, then nobody cares that you would have lost the nine other times. But is the retention that the Bills saw with a lot of the good players that they brought back, is it enough in your mind to say, yeah, this Bills team is an AFC AFC East champion again, and they should be right in it with Kansas City? And my last question being, are they going to be good enough to beat them? 
I think with Kansas City, you know, it's a little bit, it's complicated by the fact that, the, you know, the Bills have a better roster top to bottom. There's no question in my mind. But Kansas City has Patrick Mahomes, and that's always going to be, that's going to be the debate, forget Buffalo, between any team yeah. and Kansas City. I think the Super Bowl wasn't really informative because of what happened to the Chiefs offensive line. But Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. He's the best quarterback I've seen in quite some time. And so the question for Buffalo then becomes, how good does your roster have to be? How good does Josh Allen have to be when you're playing that type of quarterback? Um, you know, I think if the Kansas City offensive line, if it was as bad as it was in the Super Bowl versus Buffalo, maybe – you're talking about a different situation, but also I think Buffalo would need bit, a bit more edge rush to take advantage yeah. of it the way that um, the Bucks did. And it's no coincidence. I think pretty much everyone is looking at the Bills going to the draft is looking at the edge rushers for that reason, for because of the lack of depth along the defensive line. There's really not much you have to do in offense other than add just depth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to your question, what what is it going to take? Well, Josh Allen needs to continue the sort of trajectory he's on. I think, you know, he took a little bit of a step back in that championship game. Um, but if he plays the level he did during the regular season, that's all you need from him. The fact that the Bills were able to retain their coordinators is obviously tremendous. And then, you know, improving that pass rush, um, it, it really just comes down to a game-to-game basis. Josh Allen having a good day- game and Patrick Mahomes not having his best game would be what it would take, right. frankly. And that happens. It's the NFL. Any given Sunday, anything can happen. But with Buffalo, again, the roster's so complete, you're really just adding for depth most part at this point. Yeah, I'm with you. And I guess I, the last thing I want to ask you is, because I, my buddy who's often on the show is Marcel Louis-Jacques, and Marcel has really, really almost making people mad uh, on this Travis Etienne <laughs> train, right? Where everybody, right. the common consensus is, it's bad business to draft running backs in the first round. And whether or not we share that or you believe that and I don't or vice versa, it doesn't really matter for the conversation as much as it is if you, if the Bills decided that Najee Harris or Travis Etienne were the guy that they determined was the best available at 30 and we are not in the business of reaching for needs, we want to draft the best available player and there's no question Mm -hmm. Najee Harris is that guy. If the Bills were to draft a Najee Harris, and I kind of want to zero in on him in particular, does that add an element to this offense that would make you think that although they may not want to run with more volume, if they ran with more efficiency and effectiveness, man, the Bills could be a really scary team if they have two aspects, the pass and the run, that people just can't seem to get a, get, get a cue on and stop? Like, would you believe that maybe even though it's a running back and he's not going to get 25 touches a game, that maybe he could be a difference maker of this team getting over the hump against a team like Kansas City. I know it's – I'm asking you if the Bills take a running back, could they be better than Kansas City? And I think that's yeah. in a vacuum a dumb question, but if you look at it in more of a nuanced way of just saying if the Bills are more efficient as a running team, like what that could mean for them as being better overall. I think it would help, undeniably. I'm a really big fan of Najee Harris's game, but I think it would help more to bolster the edge rush there, even if Mm -hmm. you thought Harris was the best best player available at at his position. Yeah, I I just think when you look at the draft, you have to think about relative value. Um, And if I was Buffalo, given the needs, given what it actually takes to compete with Kansas City, which isn't just, okay, incremental additions on offense, but there's balance to it. You know, I mentioned earlier the Bucs were able to take advantage of some of the issues with the Chiefs' uh, offensive line because of their pass rush. Um, if I was Buffalo, I would rather have a edge rusher 
uh, like a Jalen Phillips, for example, out of Miami, and then take a back later in the draft than uh, running back and no top-tier edge rush, especially given what I perceive to be kind of the drop-off from that first tier of edge rushers in this class. So I, I, I love Marcel, but I would not take a running back. I, I know. I also love Marcel, and I'm going to end up going to like brunch with him tomorrow, and he's going to probably ream me out for this segment. But that it's that's neither here nor there. Mina, thank you so much for hopping on. Um, I was really excited to have you on, been wanting to do this for a while, so thank you so much for making some time for me and for uh, for the folks here in Buffalo. Really enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully we could do it again sometime. I, I Like I said, I really Really enjoyed the segment. Your insight is top-notch, and uh, really enjoy your work. Appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Mina Kimes there on the Wester Hotline joining us on Sports Talk Saturday. If you missed any of that, of course, WGR550.com, uh, on-demand audio. Check it out there. Uh, she's fantastic. Like, there just really isn't a better um, – how do I want to phrase this? There really isn't a better mind um, – in my opinion, on TV, when I watch uh, NFL Live, has become a notably better show. That uh, now that Mina and Dan Orlovsky is really great. I know, I know some people poke holes, and Dan's a little eccentric. I'm I'm a big Dan Orlovsky fan, uh, big Mina fan. So I was really happy to ha- to uh, to score that interview. It was a good score for me. That's the point of being on TV, though, when you're doing these kinds of gigs, is to say, have takes, have takes, produce content as you will. Yes. Uh, which we do, uh, but not not as well as Mina, but you know, regardless. Um, really great segment. I what I wanted to do before I kind of wrap things up for the show um, is spend a segment talking about Prince Philip. I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I joke. I joke. I joke. He's, he's, uh, here's here's your Prince Philip update. He's still dead. <laughs> we'll we'll update you if his condition changes. Oh, what a show that we have. What what a show Sports Talk Saturday is when, when I'm back. Um, but anyways, what I wanted to do for the next 10 minutes is talk a little bit about Donnie Meatballs. Hmm. So, uh, it's weird that the guy who was hired specifically because he was a motivational speaker and could motivate people and was supposed to be a good communicator... Um, is being outshined <laughs> totally by his understudy. Ended up being like maybe what really ended up sinking him was how bad at communicating he was. He was he was incredibly bad at communicating. And now Don Granado is the coach of the Buffalo Sabres. Donnie Granado, but that's fine. And he's communicating clearly, effectively. I mean, it's still a hockey coach, so you're only going to get the transparency get. is what gets me. But yeah, like it sounds sounds better. Um, there was a question that was asked uh, a couple of days ago about um. Uh, at the uh, night, uh, the night that they're going to have the Pride Day, the Pride today. Day yep, yep, yep. Uh, game that's going on today. That's right. It's between because the Penguins and Sabers are doing it conjointly. Yep. And his answer was fantastic, and it was very, it was a very inclusive answer. It was the exact yep. kind of answer you would want to have the coach of your team give to that situation. And it's a little unfair because Ralph didn't get asked that question. That's right. That's right. But it it does show in that moment of like, man, he's just doing a better job of talking. I think there's a argument to be made about Ralph Kruger that he had taken on too much water, that he his communication method started to lose credibility when he started being frankly, he just wasn't as truthful as he should have been yeah, with the media and the fan base. People straight up saying he's lying. Let me just say this to you, Corey. And I didn't know a good way to tweet this out, but I wanted to tweet this and I kind of had it written in a tweet, but I deleted it and kind of rewrote it and deleted it. I just didn't like the way that it was worded. But Ultimately, what I wanted to the what I wanted to capture in the conversation about Don Granado and and and, and Ralph Kruger is the it, it is so the standard is so low the line the bar is so low and the fact that Ralph Kruger could never meet the moment for a line that is so damn low was always 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 a 
it, it it's what infuriated me that we watched this team go 14 straight or hovered 13 straight losses with Ralph Kruger and it became a punchline, a joke. Let's see how far we can get this with Ralph Kruger. And Don Granado has done such a good job of bringing back a credibility to the position of head coach of the, of the Sabres. That the credibility and, and what people thought of the head coach of this team, no matter who it was, the head coach had lost all credibility in the last three coaches. It was Ralston. It was, you name it, Dan Bilesma. That there was this subtle sequence of of just embarrassment after embarrassment that all we were looking for was a shriver, just a sliver of credibility, a sliver of hope. And this guy comes and he says the right things. He talks about things that you just want to hear. Him talking about how this is an entertainment business, like, holy crap. Thank you for acknowledging such an obvious aspect to all this. I don't care. Like, the NHL does such a crappy job of promoting their sport, their product. And the fact that we a player gets hurt and we get to know it's a lower body injury and we don't know how long they're going to be out for. Something as little as saying... You know, something as little as lying about a lower body injury or not knowing how long a player is going to be out. It's just, to me, it's entertainment. Tell me why Jack Eichel isn't playing. And don't be stupid about it. Don't be, don't be, be transparent. Like, nobody cares about the length in which your your best player is going to be out. But you know what we care about is being lied to our face about it. Yeah. And I, I just think that Don Granado has done such a nice, nice job communicating with the media, expressing common thoughts that all of us have. That we want to see them be entertaining. We want to see them possess the puck and play offense. These are obvious things that you don't even have to say, but to acknowledge them makes me think you're you're actually plugged in. Ralph Kruger wanted to sell that he was plugged in because he'd go to the bar and he'd listen to people talk and he'd have he'd have a beer with a Sabres fan and hear what their 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 the problems are, hear what their concerns are with the team. And he was supposed to be the plugged-in guy, and he was patting his back every time he had the opportunity to tell how plugged into the fan base he was. This guy has never once patted himself on the back. And what he does really well is he engages the people that desperately needed to be engaged in this fan base. People that were, like me, frankly, that were sick of... I was watching these games out of spite, and it was such a slippery slope that this organization was was approaching with a very jeerful fan base like me who was sarcastically watching you. Right. That is such a dangerous place to be as a pro sports franchise. It's a dangerous place to be as in an entertainment business. The bad relationship. To have people sarcastically watching and supporting you because you bring back fans in that arena and you are going to have a you're going to have a very awkward conversation and a very awkward scenario play out and the Sabres were very close, very, very close, in my opinion, to almost ruining all credibility with me. And frankly, the fact that they still have any at all right now is remarkable in itself. But where I want to get to with this whole Don Granado situation is I don't know if he is the de facto, if whether or not he should be taken, that interim tag should be taken off and he's the full-time, long-term head coach of this organization. I don't know. We've seen little runs before. We've seen Ron Ralston take over, have a good end of the season, and then we know what that looked like afterwards. He was incompetent and he was unable to create a culture of winning. And the thing that Granado, listen, Ralph Kruger preached culture. Don Granado is culture. 
what he brings, how he coaches, how he speaks, how he empowers players, to watch these young players take the steps they're taking is by far the resume builder I needed to say, you know what, I'm willing to have the conversation because you know what, this league is filled of retreads. There's a, I Listen, I, no one's going to tell you Bruce Boudreaux isn't a top-of-the-line coach. This league keeps going through coaches, general managers. They all have this the same resume. Bruce Boudreaux. Yep. Babcock. Uh, you I mean, Name another coach that has worked at five other... Lindy Ruff, Tortorello will probably Tortorello, will right? probably be available pretty soon. I am... I don't believe the solutions to this organization lie within someone who's already been fired five times. And you don't have to agree with me. The reason I like Renato is the way he has brought along these young players. Watching Casey Middlestat look like he does right now is keeping me watching games. You know, uh, Darlene said something after they played the Bruins last week. And it was after um, they came back, they tied it up, and they lost in a shootout um, in Boston. But Darlene said after the game, like, that was, I don't want to call it playoff intensity, but it was something different than the regular season. Yeah. And Darlene, like, in that moment, Darlene's acknowledging reaching a level of competitiveness with the Sabres that he had not reached before. Yeah. And for Granado to get the team to buy into, like, no, the Bruins are pushing you, push right back. And to get them to engage with the game at a level of intensity that approach it, that goes beyond regular season hockey and goes into something else. When, they really have no business caring anymore is an incredible motivational feat on his part to get them so within the game of to get them participating and thinking and competing at that level. That's something that Kruger was never able to do. And Granada was able to do it on a, just a random weekday night against the Bruins. Yeah. When the Bruins had way more to play for than you did. How about this? The quote the other night about, and that's what the guy you want it to happen to. That's Darlene. Yes, correct. And the other guy you want things like this to happen to, it's Dylan Cousins. And right. you hear the quote of the cousin of, of, of Granado saying, forget about who it is, the faces, the numbers, the names that you're playing across, because you're playing across Hall of Fame players. Forget it. Put it out. Tune it out and play your game. And you see Cousins have a good night against a guy like Backstrom, who, by the way, has owned this franchise for the better part of half decade. A thousand games? Was yeah. that was that his thousandth game that, yeah. that he played? And, against? and I thought he played damn well. And and watching watching Tage Thompson skate without puking on himself. Is such a compliment to Granado playing Reinhardt at center. Yeah, <laughs> like, and you know what? We may be giving Granado more benefit than he deserves because, frankly, he was probably a lot of these decisions were forced because of injury. Right. And another thing that Saber, the Sabers PR just tweeted out: the Sabers have announced the following update regarding Kyle Oposo. Kyle Oposo has undergone successful surgery to repair a broken cheekbone. Eesh. He is out for the remainder of the season. I would probably oh. a tough way to end it. Oposo. <sighs> Although broken has been a, cheekbone a, a martyr, he's just been he's been sort of the de, de facto scapegoat of this organization, and it's not his fault that he was paid what he was paid by Tim Murray as a sort of defense mechanism for not getting you know Stephen Stamkos, and it never went the way that I think he would have wanted it. The Sabers would have wanted it. He's had a nice little run of games here over mm -hmm. the past month, yeah. and. This is likely it for him. Um, the buyout becomes very, very um, attainable over the next two years. I expect the Sabres to likely buy him out, but it'll be nice to see some young guys get some opportunities here. Um, I really like what I've seen from Roots to Linen. Um, I really like what I've seen, obviously, from Tage Thompson and, and Rasmus Asplund. This team is proving why it's been so frustrating. I, I think overall, because i got to take a break here, 
what most of us feel is we don't want to feel like we are smarter than the people making decisions. And for the better part of five years, the very obvious things of playing young guys, prioritizing their development over keeping guys like Kyle Oposo in the lineup and not being, not having a willingness to turn over the bottom six roster to younger guys to develop them along the way. The C.J. Smiths of the world that we've been talking about for seven damn years who have just never gotten the opportunity to play in a bottom six while, you know, Gergensen's uh, is constantly just being rotated back into the lineup and in and out of the lineup with a post. So it's just, I think everybody wanted to feel like they couldn't make better decisions than the coaching staff and the head and the front office were making. And I think now with Granado, seeing the development, seeing guys enjoy hockey again, it's great to see. And whether or not he ends up being the long-term answer at head coach, I don't know. But it's so it's so refreshing to see a level of competence, a level of care, a level of transparency that we have just been begging for for the better part of a decade. All right, I'm gonna take a timeout. We've got Darren Drager coming up next here on WGR.